Second Thessalonians 2, 1 through 17. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or all that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. You do not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Working now? Is your bed? Good. Well, that was my, my problem the first time. But I'll forgive you, being a Christian and all. So we've been talking in Thessalonians about work that comes up in every chapter. And, and we were talking a couple of weeks ago on a Wednesday night about good works and what role do they play. And this chapter, this book rather, has a lot in it about works and the value of it and why. And this particular chapter, chapter 2, mentions good hope, good word, and good work. And those three things we're going to talk about some. But I might let you know that this is a chapter that pretty much explains why hardly anybody ever preaches from Second Thessalonians. Because you just about have to know all the Old Testament prophecy, Daniel and Zechariah and, and all of them, and then a whole bunch of New Testament stuff in the book of Revelation. And it's all in there. Everything that Don just read is throughout the entire Bible. So when we talk about 
how scriptures are linked together and fit the pattern. This pattern is there. The problem is that with eschatology or the study of end times is that it's really hard to interpret what might happen later. And so there's a lot of different ideas about what this verse means and that one. And Does that make a lot of sense? No, it doesn't. But that's why people avoid it. So what we're going to do tonight in the next half an hour or so is try to run through a group of Bible verses. And uh, it's the kind of stuff that a lot of people hate. But I think I want you to see it that Paul is writing. And a lot of the stuff he's saying is in Revelation. Well, John wrote Revelation. You know, uh, and Paul wrote this, and yet they seem to be saying the same thing. And the reason for that would be Holy Spirit, God himself, involved in the lives and ministry of these two men. So all the pieces have to come together. And that's what we're going to try to do a little bit. But let's just get started with this. There's three things, three kinds of work. One is evil and two are good. And the first one, the evil work, is found in verse 7 that we just read. And it says the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. And it goes on to talk about the restrainer. We'll get to that in a little bit. But the mystery is already at work. The mystery of lawlessness, the evil. When you get to verse 9, it says that this is all satanic. This is the work Satan is doing. And it's already at work. Well, Paul wrote that 2,000 years ago. So let me ask you this. Is it better today or worse, this working of this mystery of evil? It's getting worse, isn't it? And the reason it's getting worse is because we're getting closer to the second coming of Christ. And as time goes on and more and more men let go of faith and more and more people walk away from truth and the gospel, the closer we get to There isn't much else that God and his grace can do because man has rejected it and decided not to believe the truth of the gospel and has exchanged it for a lie, which is all in this chapter. And they believed the lie. And they're moving on toward obeying the evil one. The second one is God at work. And it's at the end of the chapter in verse 16. Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father... He's loved us. Amen. That's a good thing, isn't it? And not only does he love us, but by his grace, he's giving us things. Such as everlasting consolation. How long does that last? Forever. And the consolation is a word that we get for comfort. And it's the same word that we use for the Holy Spirit when we talk about paraclete a calling alongside for comforting. And it's an everlasting comfort. Do you feel an everlasting comfort in your faith? And this is what God is giving to us. This is the work God is doing. And it's a good hope. It's uh, the great level of expectation that he's going to keep his word. And this is brought to you by the grace of God. And then the third one is really what the church should be doing, the good work that the church is doing. It's found in the last verse, finishing up with what God is doing. He's comforting our hearts and establishing us. 
giving us a place to stand. That's kind of like the N-word we talked about last week, that he's comforting our hearts and establishing us in himself, in God. But also in what? A good word and in good works. That the word of God that has been entrusted to us is the church's responsibility. Our responsibility as believers is to participate in the word of God and the work of God, which I really believe is distributing that word that he has entrusted to us. The word of God does not go forward unless man participates. Doesn't mean God can't save anybody. You can save anybody he wants, that's true. But when I picked the Gideon Bible up back in 72, somebody had put it there. Somebody had printed it. Somebody had put money in the Gideon offering. You see what I mean? And sometimes they tell those stories or somebody had thrown the Bible out and some bum picked it up and started reading and he got saved. When you go out on the street and you share the love of God and talk to people, it's our involvement as a church. It's our involvement. That's how people get saved. In, uh, in that sense, we are in tandem or unison or at work with God and God's plan and mission of bringing people to the knowledge of the truth. <clears throat> so when was the first coming of Messiah? We'll get on to chapter 1 here, verse, or chapter 2, verse 1. But when was the first coming of the Messiah? Anybody know? His birth. Yeah, Christmas. We're fast approaching it again. In case you have not, don't have it on your calendar, it's the 25th of December, so get ready now. You know. Yeah, it was at his birth, the first time that he came. And so he died, he was buried, he was, and he was buried, and he rose again. And then a couple days later, 40 days later or so, he ascended into heaven. And they, he said, the angel said to them, Ye men of Galilee, why are you standing around here looking up? Get to work. The same Lord you saw leave is coming back. Second coming. So he's coming back. And the Bible says that over and over. He's coming back. And that's what we refer to as the second coming. Now the problem is a lot of people have confused is that the second coming and the rapture are the same thing and they're not. They're two different things. One has to do with the church. The other has to do with Israel. The Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, came to Israel, the lost sheep of Israel. They rejected him. And now he's coming back in power to deal with Israel and the nations who have persecuted Israel. That's going to happen. In between there is the church. There's a, a graph in your handout today that you can read later, give you more information on that. <clears throat> But this first verse says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus, Messiah, anointed one, Christ, Greek for anointed. And then he goes on to say something like, And our meeting with the Lord. They're two different events. When Paul was in Thessalonica, he was there for three weeks, and he talked to them about all of these things. We don't know what that conversation was. And so when you get to verse 5, he talks about that a little bit. He says, we talked about this before, but why are you so confused about it? Well, in the first Thessalonians, they thought they'd missed the rapture. 
and that the people who were dying would never be resurrected because they already died. So he tried to straighten that out in the last book. In this one, they're concerned about, well, since the second coming's happening any minute now, we might as well quit our day jobs and stay home and wait on a mountaintop till the Lord shows up because why go to work? It's too much work anyway. So some of that confusion had to be ironed out. So he wrote the second epistle to straighten that out. He said there's two things. First is this day of Christ, the time of Jacob's trouble, the great tribulation, or however you want to talk about it, but that's what we're talking about, the coming of Christ, the Messiah, the second coming. Let me show you some verses real quick in uh, Revelation 19. And uh, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and he himself will rule with a rod of iron. He himself treads a winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of God. And he, was on, he has on his robe and on his side was written, uh, King of kings, Lord of lords. He's coming on a big horse with a big sword. And in the next one, in verse 19, And I saw all the kings of the earth were gathered together to make war against the Almighty and war against his army. I mean, people in the world actually think that they can surround Jerusalem and fight God and win. And that's, that's what this is about. But all of this happens, this day of Christ, the second coming, this return to the Mount of Olives when the mountain is split, like in Zechariah 14, all of that's going to happen after the church is taken out. Well, how do you know that? Well, at the beginning of chapter 19 in Revelation, there's a marriage supper of the Lamb. And when he comes, he comes with his saints in glory. It said that in chapter 1, Thessalonians. He talked about he's coming with his saints in vengeance upon those who know not God and believe not the gospel. So how are the saints going to come with him if they're still down here? It's all mixed up. The fact is simply that somehow we will already be with him when this dark day shows up. And that's the first part of this verse. Here's another one of 19, verse 20. And then the beast was captured and the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived signs and deception. That's all mentioned in this passage too that we're looking at. And they're rounded up. And these two, these evil, satanic, human character types, are cast into the lake of fire. And the rest of those who are gathered at Armageddon who hate God and have pushed him out of their mind and take pleasure in each other's sinfulness, they will be basically executed on the field on that day in Armageddon. And then they'll be resurrected to the second death, which is uh, eternal lost state. Now, this evil has been at work since the time of Paul. This mystery of lawlessness. The evil that would cause men to hate God so much, to hate the church so much, to hate Jews so much, that at some point when the church and the holy spirit are taken out those restrainers as it talks about in here when they're taken out there's nothing left to hold them down to hold it back 
And where it's going to end up is right here. Because we read this book, and this is the back of the book, and this is, the, this is how it's going to end. It's going to be judgment for the wicked who have decided, I hate God. I don't believe in God. That's just what's coming. And all of that is what Paul talked to them about when he was there. So he introduces this little thing. He says, the day of Christ is coming. The day of Christ. And let's look at one more. It brings them to Armageddon, chapter 16 of Revelation. For there are spirits of demons performing signs that go out the kings of the earth and the whole world gathered for battle against the battle of that great day of God Almighty. There it is, the day of God, the day of Christ, that day. It's all that refers to a time when Christ returns to deal with the wickedness of the nations. <clears throat> he says, I'm coming as a thief. Blessed are those who watch. And then verse 16, they were gathered together at Armageddon. Now, have you heard that? I come as a thief in the night. Have you heard that before? That's it. Second coming. So when people read the end of Matthew's gospel where they talk about the thief in the night, they're talking about the second coming to the Jewish people, not the rapture of the church. It doesn't matter. It's just a lot of prophecy that would take months and hours to sort out. We did this a couple years ago, the book of Joel, which is two chapters long, and it took us like 18 weeks, I think, <laughs> because it's another chapter like this where it's just full of prophecy stuff. So why are you telling us all that tonight? Because we need to know that the day of Christ and the great tribulation and the wrath of God is not poured out on the church. The church is delivered from the wrath to come. Oh, we're not going to have any persecution? It didn't say that. Nobody's going to slam the door in my face? It didn't say that. Nobody's going to take the heads off 21 Christians on the north coast of Africa didn't say that. But all of that ugliness that we see in the world today isn't the tribulation. It isn't the return of Christ. It is just wickedness and the wickedness of men who know not God and want nothing to do with him. <clears throat> well, let's see here. Let's finish up the rest of that verse. Let's go on to, uh, yeah, verse 1 and 2, finishing it up. I think we're going to skip one slide there, Bryce. But verse 2 says, And we ask not uh, to be shaken in mind about this time of tribulation. <clears throat> Don't be troubled. Not in your human spirit. Not by stories that you hear going around. Not by letters that you think may or may not be from me. Just don't get all excited about the day of Messiah, the second coming, the return. Just get off it. You know, here's a... There are a lot of people who love to study end time stuff. We have denominations in America. That's all they do. That's all they talk about is the end times, the end times. And they don't even believe Jesus is God. They don't have nothing to do with the death, burial, and resurrection. They have all kinds of problems. And if we as a church are always focused on, and I hate to call it a secondary issue, but let's always focused on 
the study of the end times, when are we going to preach the gospel? When are we going to talk to basic people about their sin, about their need for a Savior, about a God who loves them? Now, there's a, there's a place for it when we should study it. And even tonight, it's probably overwhelming just trying to go through a couple of verses that talk about the day of wrath and the horror of that scene when Christ himself comes to deal with the, uh, the nations. But what's holding it back? What's holding it back? What is our responsibility? And that's, that's where we're headed. But don't be shaken. Don't, don't get freaked out over end-time prophecy stuff. Just get up and keep moving. Verse 3, let nobody deceive you by any means about that day. It's not coming until there's a great falling away. And then the man of sin will be revealed. Then the son of perdition will be revealed. Just lighten up. We have work to do in the meantime. Do you think it's possible for a Christian to be deceived? Yeah. Otherwise, what's the point of Paul warning us to not be deceived? And if the uh, mystery of lawlessness is already at work, and it's been 2,000 years since Paul wrote that. How is that mystery, how is that wickedness being manifest amongst the Christians today? You know, now you're going to find out why nobody wants to preach on this subject, because now you're attacking large denominations of Christian people. And you're saying it in public and offending people. You know what I'm saying? So should I continue or should I not? Should I say what needs to be said or should I just read the Scripture and let you figure it out? And that's these are the problems that we face. What, say you, but myself included, but what we believe to be true, is it really the truth? The message that I cling to, is it really the message that's taught in Scripture? How do you know you're not deceived right now even? Those are tough, challenging questions. But all of it, the answer to all of it has something to do with the word and the work that Paul is talking about in this chapter. And uh, the evil is at work, God is at work, and we need to be at work also. There's going to be a falling away says so, unless there's a falling away. I hear preachers all the time say, well, before the rapture and the end of time, there's going to be a great revival in all the churches. Well, there's going to be a great revival in a universal church that knows not God and obeys not the gospel. That revival's coming. But the revival in the born-again, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus-type stuff, that is not being preached as often in churches today as it should be. And the result is going to be an ushering in of, eventually, the church will be taken and the world will be set for Armageddon. And everybody will just turn against God. But this falling away. So if the mystery of lawlessness is at work now, is there a falling away that's at work now? I think so. I think so. 
And so each and every one of us needs to check our own hearts and get into the book and study the scripture and find out whether these things be so or not, especially related to what pays for my sin. Because I need a Savior. I cannot get to heaven on my own merit. My own good works, no matter how good they are, are nothing but rags when it comes to answering the question. If I mopped up my sins with my good works, Lord, and he says, yeah, those are just filthy rags and they don't, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. We need a Savior. So we get to verse 4. He said, uh, here's something else that's got to happen. Besides the falling away, you know, reverse, I guess we're still in three, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, then verse 4, this guy is going to oppose everything that is God and everything that is truth. This evil one, when he is finally uh, turned loose, he exalts himself above all that's called God or that is worship, so that he sits even in the temple of God. And there, the temple right now has not been rebuilt. But the abomination of desolation that Daniel talks about has to do with an idol in the temple, the Jewish temple. And so if the temple were to be rebuilt in our day and we were to see that happen, wouldn't that be kind of like, whoa, because the second coming is going to happen. The temple has to be rebuilt, but the church is still here. That would be like, we're getting closer. <laughs> you see what I'm getting at? I mean, but that hasn't happened. I thought Saddam was going to blow that temple up with one of his crazy Scud missiles back in the last century, but... He hasn't done it yet. It's still there, the mosque anyway. The Jews haven't rebuilt. Verse 5, don't you remember when I talked to you about all this stuff when I was there? I told you these things. And you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. So there's something, there's a what that is restraining the demonic you know what the what is? It's the church, isn't it? The glorious church, the bride of Christ that's out there standing in the gap, preaching the gospel day after day after day. And I'm almost saying that with a touch of sarcasm. Don't you feel that? <laughs> because I don't feel that I myself am doing that day after day after day. And what is the church at large doing? And what are all the other churches doing? Well, it's not our responsibility to evaluate all the other churches. But what is our church doing? What are we doing? If we are the what that is restraining, well, let's read on. Just keep that in mind for a moment. Verse 7, for the mystery of lawlessness is already a work, and he who, now it's a person who is restraining, will do so until he is taken out of the way, until the Holy Spirit leaves the planet, the son of perdition, the, the wicked one, is held in suppression. So when the Holy Spirit came in Acts 2, the church was born. And people were indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. And we were saved and born again. And that's been going on for 2,000 years now. The church is still here. And if we, the church, are the restrainers, and if the Holy Spirit of God working through us to hold the evil back, 
is the only thing that's really holding the second coming of Christ when he returns to judge the earth. The only thing that's holding him back is us doing the work. So what part do we play? What is our work? I've got 20 more verses. I'm going to skip them all because we're going to run out of time. But I want to show you one, though. Let's see if I can. Hang on, Bryce. I'll tell you where to jump in. I mean, we could reread this whole chapter, but you can read it again a little later. It uh, Go down to verse 9 real quick. We're almost there anyway, but. The working of Satan with power, signs, wonders, and lying wonders. Are there any denominations of churches that have given themselves over to signs and wonders? But, 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 the verses we just read in Revelation talk about signs and wonders too. Do you know the same words? They mean the miracles? Uh, or are you saying all these churches are wrong? Nope, not saying that. You think, you're saying God can't do miracles? Nope, he can and he will. And he does. But if the spirit of iniquity has been at work all this time, and the signs and wonders, the, the Antichrist is going to call down fire from heaven and do these signs, miracles. It's the same word. Should we be about signs and wonders or should we be about preaching the gospel? And that's tough, isn't it? Are you saying, no, I'm not. I don't even want to judge anybody else. But I am saying this. <clears throat> if your church stops being about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, you better start looking for a new church. Because almost anything else, any other secondary issue, starts to move us in the direction that the dark side wants us to go. And it's sobering. How do you sort that out? I can't. I don't know how. But look what he's doing here. Signs and wonders and lying and deception. Verse 10. Those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth. Well, where were they supposed to hear the truth? From us. That they might be saved. And they might have been saved if they'd heard the truth. But if you heal their back, won't they get saved? Not necessarily. So why do we spend so much time with that stuff? You're talking about Christian people. I know it. But it's serious for each and every one of us to sort out where do we stand on some very tough issues related to the cross of Christ? And how does that play out? We pray for healing all the time. Have we seen any healing? Yes, we have. And God be praised for all that. But as a little church, we've also seen people healed and made better and health and miracles and all that. Say whatever you want. But our focus has not been on that issue. It's been on Christ and on the death, burial, and resurrection. It's been on faith in Jesus for salvation. And if the Lord be pleased to grant us a couple more days to serve him through good health, hallelujah. Get up, give thanks, and keep moving. Don't turn it into a rabbit's foot. Don't turn it into a worship service. Don't turn it into anything other than praise God. Because the dark side is doing the same thing. 
And we have to be sensitive on how we sort all that out. Let's go to, uh, where is it here? The last verse, I think it's 16, Bryce. I got my pages all turned around. Yeah, he needs them. Anyway, now the Lord Jesus Christ himself, he's the one. Focus on him. Our God and Father, he's loved us, and he has given us everlasting consolation, everlasting comfort. It's beyond the miraculous. I mean, it's a faith thing of, my knee's starting to feel better. It's been about three months. I'm really thankful for that. <laughs> you know, I, I've been asking the Lord to help me with my knee for a long time. But frankly, and don't take me serious, Lord, but I really don't care if it heals or not because it's not going to change my faith in Him. You know, maybe I need to have a bad knee for a while. Jacob had one. He had a limp. You know what I'm saying? Focus on him. Because in him, in that place where we stand, in him, we have this everlasting comfort and really, really good hope that we're going to get everything he has said we're going to get. He's going to take care of us. Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and good work. And that's what we need to be about. Doing the work that God has called us to do. And the work, what is the work of God? The work of God is to believe on him who sent me. That's what Jesus said. Now, I've got to find this one page. Maybe not. Go to the next slide. You remember this, Peter in a rock? He said, uh, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. I personally think that that statement is the rock. Christ himself is the rock, that believing that he is God and God Almighty, the Savior. And Jesus said, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. Now, in Caesarea Philippi, where that transaction, that conversation was had, there is a pagan temple to Pan, the flute horn playing goat guy, lived in this dark, dark hole in the ground, this cave. And they were up in there in Decapolis, pagan country, 12 Jewish guys, well, 13 of them, counting Jesus. And they're up in there in this pagan place, this place of extreme darkness. And there they sit. And it would not surprise me if they were sitting right in front of the cave in that region. And he says, you see that rock right there? This pagan temple thing? You can look it up. It's, it's on the line. You can see pictures of it. Places are carved in the rock where they had their shrines and everything. And right there, Jesus said, I'm going to build a church right here in front of this thing right in front of the gates of hell. Now, here's the thing. The mystery is already at work. What are we doing about it? The church in that verse there is singular. 
It's only one church, the one that Jesus created. So it's only one church, but yet the gates is plural. The only way that works <clears throat> is if the universal church of Jesus Christ, all churches, with all of our errors and mistakes and bad theology, every one of us, if all of us are taking up residence where we are locally in front of the gates, the gates of hell, the gates is plural. So, for example, if people are going to hell in Freeport, guess why this church is here? And guess who's going to win, according to the Lord Jesus? I'm putting a church here to prevail against the darkness, that spirit of wickedness that's already at work in our area. And we have people come from quite a distance, so we're covering a lot of turf here. And that's good. But it's a whole group of local churches in front of a whole bunch of different problem areas in the whole world that make up the universal body of Christ to do what? Good works. And that good work has to do with the gospel of Christ. It just has to be about him. And we'll pray about all the other stuff, but we have to share the love of God with people. We just have to. Because you know what's going to happen when the church completely dies? If that were to happen in our time. What if? No churches in America were preaching the gospel anymore. There might be a rapture of the church that's so small no one would even notice anybody's gone. That's a different way to think about the rapture, but it, it is a real possibility, isn't it? What is my calling in this life? Why am I here? What is it that God wants me to do with my life in this church for his name, for his glory. What good work does he have for us here at the gathering place? And next week we'll talk more about all of that, but uh, it's all about Jesus, folks. Hang on to him. Of all power. Of all nature and all created things, of all wisdom and all the ways of man, you were here before the world began.
good news is there's still time to love each other and to love God. Just be at peace. Do the best we can. Encourage one another. Love and good works. Keep going. As you see the day approaching. Have you heard that verse before? What day? The second coming. It's in the book of Hebrews. But we have time. God loves us. We have time. But let us redeem the time. And do those things that are most important and uh, to love well. So for closing, we're just going to, I'll read this first verse and then we'll read the last one or two together. But Paul writing, So then, brothers, continue to stand firm and keep a tight grip on the teachings you have received from us, whether by word or mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and the God our Father who has loved us and graciously given us encouragement that is eternal, and a hope that is well-founded. Encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good thing you do and say. Amen. Have a good week.